You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. Joining me, as always, is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. Um, you know, I I feel like it was a rare night where the Bucks win that I, I do not <laughs> podcast with you uh, yesterday after the Nuggets game, but um, I'm traveling at my uh, in-laws place in Houston and... Uh, you know, late at night, you can't always find a good venue for podcasting when everybody's going to bed. <laughs> so um, I figured I'd let you handle it uh, with a very late night pod. And uh, uh, I knew I would, <laughs> I, I figured I would have my say at some point, uh, i.e. today, uh, about last night's game. So, um, so yeah, it was obviously a fun game and uh, good to continue to bank wins, especially against a really good team. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll pause there now. I know we wanted to get through a few things tonight, but you want to talk a little bit more about that game first as sort of a order of operations or where do you want to start? Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. We'll talk a little bit about Chris Middleton and his contract uh, coming up here in a little bit. We'll talk a little bit about Giannis Adetokounmpo and his comments uh, from today, which ended up being strangely interesting. Uh, d- did not expect uh, much out of a, a, a a post-practice session with Giannis, but uh, yeah, there was a lot of stuff there. So we can talk about all of that here coming up in a little bit, but I think kind of somewhere I wanted to start and I just mentioned this to you that, you know, I was thinking, I think I was talking to uh, the guys at the fan in green Bay uh, for during my weekly hit with them. And they had asked me a question about this bucks homestand. Uh, and you know, they, they just beaten Denver on Monday night and, you know, they're two and three at this point in the homestand, you know, kind of what is an acceptable outcome for this homestand. And, you know, I, I hemmed and hawed a little bit and, you know, well, they didn't look so good against Portland last time, but, you know, they didn't look so good against Denver the first time and they looked much better defensively against them. You know, maybe that'll happen again with Portland. So maybe that's a win. Phoenix should be a win. They're one of the worst teams in the league. And, you know, the San Antonio team isn't quite as good as they were in the past. And very quickly I found myself saying, Oh yeah, you know, maybe it should be a five and one homestand. And, you know, at least it almost has to be a four and two homestand. Like you don't want to drop any more than that. And, I got done with it and I kind of thought about what I said and I was like, just wait, is my standard for the bucks now a six sixty six win percentage at during, during a homestand against, you know, a a number of talented teams. Uh, Like, is that really where I'm at? And I think it is. And I'm just curious with you, we were talking a little bit about expectations and, and kind of what has happened to this point in the year being 12 and four. And like, where's your head at right now? Because I, I do find myself saying these things and talking about expectations that I have for this team. And then all of a sudden being like, wait, I'm talking about the Milwaukee Bucks. Like this has not been true of my entire life. Like what's happening? Yeah. And I think what's so interesting is not only are they winning a lot of games, not only they're doing it while facing, you know, one of the, if not the most difficult schedule in the league thus far, they're doing it in pretty convincing fashion. Right. I mean, I I think um, we've talked a lot about their point differential. They've been leading the league in point differential, which, you know, is, typically a very good indicator especially early in the season when you know uh, there's a lot of noise and sort of the win-loss records oftentimes you know i mean if you lose a couple close games it could have a really big impact on your win-loss you know rating relatively speaking versus um you know if you're winning a lot of blowouts and the bucks i mean the bucks have generally been you know, losing the close games that they've had um you know it, it, it kind of shines through just how consistent and and in many cases, consistently dominant they've been 
um, especially when they've been playing teams that, that aren't as good. So um, it, it's an interesting place to be because on the one hand, like, I don't know, like <laughs> you, you want to enjoy this um, and you don't want to suddenly feel pissed off. Like if the Bucks like, you know, play with their food a little <laughs> bit, like against the Bulls the other night or, um, or, or actually lose games, you know, like the, you don't want to feel like it's the end of the world when the, the Bucks actually yeah. lose a game. Um, but you also don't want to be kind of, you know, a prisoner of low expectations, which I think is what, you know, as fans, we've kind of gotten used to in a lot of ways for, for, our, you know, the last couple decades. So, um, you know, Kevin Pelton wrote a really interesting piece about the Bucks' early season success, uh, hearkening back on, you know, the point differential and, and putting it in historical context and how, you don't put up numbers like the Bucks have put up and not be like, and again, I'm like, you know, expecting for a mirror to break or a black cat to run in front of me as I say this, but you know, you don't generally do that unless you are going to be a great team. Um, you know, like teams don't do that and then win 45 games. Like that just doesn't historically happen that they're, you know, this dominant even over, you know, the first 15, 16 games of the season. So um, again, I think you have to always, apply cautious optimism you know i mean you're one Giannis or chris middleton injury away from obviously being in a very different place from a sort of team ceiling perspective but look i mean we've we've lived a long time as bucks fans being sort of pessimistic and cynical so i think you gotta enjoy it too and you know last night um you know they they play like crap super sloppy i mean both teams to a certain extent yeah, yeah. for you know certainly the buck for two quarters um you know nothing that you would look at and be like oh yeah this team is like totally put it together but okay there are different ways to win games we've seen the bucks win a lot of games in dominant fashion we've seen them now a couple games in a row uh you know play relatively poorly um chicago also just hit a ton of shots denver didn't really hit a ton of threes at least they kind of made a bunch of like kind of mid-range floater type shots for a while. Yeah. And then um, in the second half, the Bucks really obviously just sort of took it to them. And, you know, a six-point win against Denver, I'd say, is probably about the equivalent of a 19-point <laughs> win over the pool. Like, I don't know what the sliding scale is. Um, but, uh, you know, to be winning these games, you're going to be 12-4, and four, given the schedule and given the way that they've been winning these games, um, it's, uh, it's something I think you have to be really excited about. And, um, you know, you kind of do some of the math on, on like the record and stuff. And, um, you know, I think we talked previously about, you know, to be a 50 win team, you probably need to win like two thirds of your home games. So kind of what you were talking about for this homestand, yep. um, you know, that puts you about 28 wins at home. Um, and then, you know, on the road, if you go 500, um, you know, then you're, you're in the ballpark, at least you're, you're, you know, that wouldn't put you at, uh, you know, put you in the high forties, like 48, 49 wins. So if you can then be a 31 team at home, maybe slightly better than 500 at, yeah. uh, on the road, then that puts you into the 50 win range. So, um, I think what we're seeing from the bucks, obviously to date, obviously they've been, you know, w- well beyond a, a 30 win home team at this point, you know, at what it, whatever it is, seven, one, eight and one. Um, so We'll see how that kind of, you know, shakes out over the course of a season. But, I mean, if this team is going to be a 35 win, 35 and 6 team at home, I mean, nothing would surprise me at this point, right? I mean, if they stay healthy and kind of just do what they do, um, I I think that could be in play. And, and, uh, And then if, yeah, if you're a 35 win team at home, even if you are only a 500 team on the road, you're, you're in the mid fifties. So, um, it's, uh, again, brave new world. You don't want to count the, the, the chickens before they hatch. But, um, I think it's important to be thinking in those terms because again, we talked the other day about, um, you know, why, like, what is the credible case for the Bucks being competitive with any team in the East? Right. And I think, um, with the Bucks very high standard of play so far and combine that with, kind of, you know, Toronto, Boston, and Philly all having certain aspects of their ceiling not really panning out right now. I mean, Philly with, I mean, the Fultz saga just continues to <laughs> get even weirder, right? I mean, even with, with Jimmy Butler, um, you know, being there now, um, I'd say relative to, you know, flashback a year ago when they thought they were getting this, you know, high impact young point guard to pair with Simmons and, and Embiid. I mean, I'd, I'd say they're still in a, 
clearly kind of worse position than they were a year ago, just from a kind of long-term upside perspective. Um, and obviously Boston kind of continues to be strange <laughs> for, for a bunch of reasons. Yeah. And Gordon Hayward ain't an all-star. Um, and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown don't look like all-stars, at least in the short term. Um, so it, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in Toronto, as we've talked about, is sort of in many ways sort of the best parallel to the box. They, they obviously you know, are different in a number of ways, but um, but they also are kind of facing their own uncertainty. I mean, talk about the, we'll talk about the Bucks and, and, you know, sort of their summer of big question marks, but um, certainly no single player. There's no bigger question mark as far as a single player and where, what they do than, than Kawhi Leonard. And, and obviously if, if where he goes will potentially radically reshape the, the balance of power, not just in the East, but potentially the West. So um, I think that's a roundabout way of saying that, um, I think it's okay to be greedy. Um, I think it's okay to <laughs> think the Bucks should win every home game. At this point, why not? <laughs> right? I mean, they yeah. they should uh, they should be favored in every home game for for the time being until further notice. And um, they obviously have you know some more difficult home games coming up, and they're not going to win every one of them. Um, but certainly, a team like this, the way they've been playing, I, I don't think it's you know out of the question at all that they could continue to kind of. Um, rack up wins at a really high rate and you know certainly if they can continue to take care of business you know the the schedule at the end of the season you know second half of the season the schedule gets a lot lighter so um, you know really over the next few weeks um, if they I don't want to say survive the next few weeks um, because I mean they're more than surviving right now but um, you know even if they drop down to third or even fourth uh, in the east over the next like month or so they're actually probably going to be really well positioned kind of long term over the the rest of the season again just you know stay healthy and keep doing what you're doing yeah i think it's really interesting to kind of look at some of those schedule type things because i think matt moore tweeted it this morning and he tweets way too much for me to oh actually i just wait i found it i was scrolling and i didn't think i was going to find it but uh, he mentioned that, you know, you look at the the four teams with the easiest strength of schedule thus far, and it's the Pistons at eight and six, it's the Mavs at seven and nine, it's Charlotte at eight and eight, and then it's the Hawks at three and fourteen. And those are the four teams with the four easiest schedules to this point. And, you know, like you think through all of those situations, like, oh man, the Pistons have had the easiest schedule and they're only eight and six. Like, maybe that means they're not that good. And you you look at Charlotte at eight and eight with the third easiest. Okay, maybe maybe Charlotte's not that good. And then you know when when you look at the Bucks, they're thriving and have played a really tough schedule. And you know I don't think either of us thought that uh, there were really strong arguments for why it was all going to fall apart for the Bucks at any point this season. Uh, I think when we, we talked about it before the season, we thought this was a 51 team, maybe me a little bit stronger uh, than you. Um, but, you know, we both thought it was good. Then the preseason happened and we were both like, okay, yeah, we were definitely right on that. And then uh, the first couple games happened and it, it just felt better and better. And, you know, along all of those following all those games, you know, we kind of ended up talking to each other like, ah, oh, you know, can you actually, like, can they actually be this good? And again, there's, again, as you mentioned, injuries can happen and, and those things can kind of derail a season. But, you know, if you look at all the underlying statistics, like this Bucks team should be very good and it should continue to stick. So um, yeah, it, it is a, a little bit of, of a shift, but it is something that, you know, you, you kind of have to think through and process. And then, you know, I think maybe in some ways, like you said, get a little bit greedy. And as someone had mentioned it, that, you know, uh, you keep hearing how Bud and the players think like, okay, you know what, we'll be able to figure it out. Like everything will be okay. And someone's like, man, Bucks fans got to start like adopting how the team feels. And it, it is, it is funny to, you know, attempt to shed the baggage uh, quickly and be like, hey, I'm confident in this team. And, well, you know, we all know what rule number one is. Uh, and it, you should never trust the Bucks. But, you know, maybe, maybe sometimes you can trust the Bucks at this point. Like, you know, you got to you gotta kind of think through where uh, that sliding scale is now at. And it does take a lot to get through 
20 years, 30 years, no matter how long you've been a Bucks fan, all those years of baggage. Um, but this is a team that that's just really good. And, uh, you know, that might make uh, our podcast a little bit more boring because there isn't as much drama to talk about. There isn't as many aut- autopsies to kind of get through and figure out oh, exactly what's wrong with this team. But, you know, I think there's still enough there. And, you know, both of us being cheery and positive, that's, that's a new thing. And I think maybe it makes my my stress level go down a little bit, which is, is totally fine. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of where we're at. Um, one thing I mentioned in yesterday's podcast, Frank was, uh, as you were talking about the rest of the Eastern conference, you're talking about, uh, you know, this team in Boston, their guys aren't quite right in Philly, who knows kind of what's going on there in Toronto. you know, you, you got guys, um, I mentioned the possibility of a third all-star last night, and I mentioned Eric Bledsoe possibly being the third all-star for the Bucks this year, which means I've already blown past uh, Middleton being the second all-star and just thinking that that's going to happen. Uh, and now I'm thinking, okay, maybe the Bucks get a third all-star. Is is that crazy? Also, we had a, someone tweet at us today and say that uh, I believe a serious XM show uh, on NBA, Sirius XM NBA station had mentioned Bledsoe as the fourth best point guard in the Eastern Conference. And that would be uh, behind Kyrie, Kemba, and Kyle Lowry. And I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, so w- what do you think? Third all-star, Eric Bledsoe? How are you feeling about that? Oh, man. Man, you're really taking this greedy, uh, this greedy thing to uh, to a new level. But um, just just trying to embrace your words, Frank. I'm just trying to embrace it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean that that seems reasonable. I mean, I think I I, I think the uh, all star, like the the number of all stars you get. I mean, if the Bucks were first at at the round at the time when they announced the all star reserves, then I think that could be in play. I guess even if they were second, maybe. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'd really, we'd really have to probably like redo the math again, sure. um, just to see kind of like how it shakes out. Um, I think, and, and obviously they're always like injury replacements and, and stuff like that too. So, um, certainly if like any of those point guards you mentioned, like are hurt or something like that, then that certainly gives, um, you know, gives him a much better chance. I think at this point, you know, Kyrie is like kind of, I mean, his popularity, he's like a lock to be a starter i would assume you know between the fan vote and the media vote and the on and the player vote i just would assume he'll be the starter um so between Kyrie and then you know kemba i mean jesus like with the no scoring numbers he's putting up i think the, the hornets will be you know good enough that he'll be he'll be in there and then um uh you know lowry i think you know he's a, been an all-star his team's great and um you know he's statistically he's putting up like similar scoring numbers to, to Bledsoe, like in the 15 point per game range, but he's averaging 10 assists. Right. Um, and so I think certainly, you know, I'd give the benefit of the doubt to Lowry making over a guy like Bledsoe, who's obviously more of a, you know, has never been an all-star before. Um, but it was actually kind of interesting. I think, um, where did I hear this? Was it maybe, maybe the dunked on guys got it in their mailbag. They did their, um, East 15 and 60 segments the other day. And I think maybe someone asked, them about um zach levine making the all-star team and it was like kind of weird because it's just like can you can you be a like just pp ppgz guy on like a terrible team who is not like an established star and actually make the all-star team i i just like didn't even think that that i feel like kemba didn't do it and kemba's teams were more respectable than yeah for sure zach levine's right because kemba was was kemba an all-star replacement last year i don't think he was in the original group maybe um so yeah i and i also don't think levine's gonna i mean he's already like tailing off in terms of his shooting percentages i mean i just like don't think like like if we're talking about like who's gonna make the all-star team it's like you know Oladipo will make it because the Pacers are good, you know, for the Sixers, presumably, obviously Simmons and B will be a starter. Um, and, you know, Butler, I think Butler is kind of the question. Yeah. Right? Butler's definitely a question. Cause I don't think he's going to put up, he's not, I don't think he's not going to average like he ain't 20, in a popular vote. I'll say that <laughs> like fan, fans aren't voting for that dude. No. Um, so that, that's actually really interesting. I mean, like Butler could be, and, and this is one of those things like to get three guys, like your team needs to be awesome and you need to have like, good players so um i think that's an interesting question it it certainly may come down you know i think middleton is 
you know, if the Bucks are a top two, three seed, I think it's going to be really hard to keep Middleton out as long as his numbers are, you know, kind of in the ballpark of where they are now. So, um, and as we said, like a lot of these other teams, like, cause like just as, as you go through it, uh, like, so Cleveland's not going to have any. And I think going into the year, like we thought, okay, maybe Kevin Love would be yeah, one of the guys that takes a spot. The entire season, Correct. Yeah. Uh, Atlanta, no one. Uh, the Knicks, no one. The Bulls, you know, maybe Levine was a question mark, but ultimately I think no one. Uh, the Wizards, I think originally we would have thought, you know, Wall and Beal maybe get looks, but like if they're quagmired, uh, I don't know if you can put anyone from them on there. Uh, the maybe one, right? You're maybe, not getting two, you're not getting two reserves. Yeah, well, Beal, Beal, I mean, I think Beal probably has a better case this year, um, but uh, we'd have to also look at sort of positional scarcity, I guess, too. Sure. Uh, Miami? Nobody. I don't think anyone. Nobody. Sorry, Gordon. Uh, <laughs> Brooklyn? I think Karis LeVert might have had a chance, but Not now no one. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte Kemba? Boston? Kyrie? Orlando? I don't think nobody. anyone. Nobody. Knicks? Nobody. Detroit? Uh, Blake? <sighs> yeah, I mean, let's see. I mean, he had such a hot start. I'm, I'm, curious like the thing with like um the thing with the pistons is like drummond has made the all-star team typically blake's up numbers I mean, he's 24 and 10 and they've been like you know playoff worthy so i think at this point you'd have to think blake makes it just because numbers plus team being decent enough um but it's like blake plus drummond like man two all-stars from the Pistons. <laughs> it's like i it feels it feels kind of feels um, pretty tough. That feels like a lot. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, Drummond's like. I mean, his numbers are you know nineteen and sixteen. I mean, obviously he's putting up big numbers, but it's just like you know, okay, like do, is is that is that really gonna gonna get it? And and again, that that might be the kind of thing where that makes it harder for Bledsoe <laughs> just having more guys putting up these kind of numbers. But um, but I, I yeah. they're going to be an interesting test case because they're going to be like mediocre, um, probably uh, and. I don't know that they may still get, maybe they do get two all-stars. We'd have to kind of do the math. And obviously, you know, if you have two guys who are injured, then that's a big deal, you know, because that obviously is more, more space for, for guys, but certainly Detroit, not, or, um, you know, Boston really not having, I mean, it's like Horford is like, even when his numbers are crap, like you can always make an argument maybe for him just because of his intangibles, but I don't think he's going to make it if sure. The, Celtics are like relatively disappointing and his numbers are like career lows across the board. Like I, 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 I kind yeah. of just doubt that, that they do that, but anyway, but I, yeah, maybe Bledsoe, Bledsoe's the guy, maybe I'm at this point, I'm going to hold off on and which isn't saying anything about Bledsoe, but just three all-stars, man, that would be, um, we'd be in really uncharted. T- I mean, I remember when Glenn, Glenn Robinson and, and Ray Allen both made it, uh, and that felt like really rich, rich times. Um, so to have Giannis as, you know, the presumptive leading vote getter in the East and likely Middleton and potentially Bledsoe, that would be pretty crazy. Yeah. So like I said, like I threw it out last night and I wasn't a hundred percent sure how I felt about it, but you know, just kind of going through the East, like the, the Boston vacuum, I think kind of, cause I think going into this year, that was like the the presumptive team that we thought like, okay, maybe they get three and now they're down to, to one. And then like Kevin Love being hurt, like I think there's, there's some wiggle room on the bottom and, you know, we don't necessarily have to count out Mike Boonholzer being the coach. And, you know, if you're the coach and you got to pick a replacement, eh, maybe you'll pick your guy. Um, I don't know. So we'll, we'll see. Um, but wanted to get your thoughts on that. Okay. Um, other things we wanted to talk about today. Uh, let's say, let's go with, so Giannis had a really interesting media session today. Um, I don't think anyone was really surprised. Or I don't think anyone was really expecting it. It, it was kind of a surprise to all of us um, where uh, Stephen Watson from Channel 12 here in Milwaukee um, was starting a question and didn't even get a chance to finish it. He He just said, you know, Giannis last night's game feels like a game you would have lost last season. And Giannis cuts him off and immediately goes into this answer. So, you know, last night's game feels like a game you would have lost last season. And Giannis goes, yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And not just that game, the Chicago game. Like I said last night, I think our talent saves us and we play with energy. Having Coach Bud come into the locker room, 
the one game he yelled at us and the other game last night he came in and said okay guys you know what you have to do just put some energy in this game and you're going to win this game having your coach trust you and let you play and let you be basketball players and let you know you should do what you do and he knows you're going to get back in the game it gives everybody confidence and it helps it helps a lot and I thought that was a really interesting answer because, you know, it kind of speaks to a coach pressing heavy on the gas on a night against the the Chicago Bulls where, you know, it's it's a bad team and you shouldn't be performing like that and you should be better. And then, you know, with a slow first half, he didn't come in with Hellfire and Brimstone uh, the next night. He came in against the Nuggets and, you know, calmly said, okay, you guys know what you have to do. You know how you're going to win this game. Let's go out there and do it. And, you know, I just, I I thought it was interesting, but it also left another question to be asked. And of course I asked the follow-up there because I said, you know, you, you just explained that, but, you know, surely you would have gotten the same conversation from Jason last year against the Bulls. Like if you, if you come out slowly, like if you come out slow and sluggish against the Bulls, Jason would have said the same thing. So what's the difference there? And I thought it was interesting, one, that when I asked that, Giannis needed to pause for a little while. Uh, and I think that there was kind of the the thought that was going through his head, like, okay, how do I answer this politically uh, to, to not throw Jason kind of under the bus? But you know, when he when he responded, he said, you know, I, I don't know what the difference is. Probably Jason would have yelled at us and we'd have closed we'd we would have stayed closed in a shell. And and sometimes when guys got yelled at, they had a tendency to not play as hard and play a little bit more scared. But with Coach Bud, it's always coming from a good place. He gives you the green light, but he's always going to scold you. He's going to talk to you. Like when you're messing up, he's gonna let you know. But when you're doing good stuff, he's going to tell you and make you feel positive and make you play for the team. And, you know, to me, it was just a, it was a sequence where the first question meant I needed to ask the next question because it was to me just kind of lingering like, okay, that seems, seems like something that every coach would do, like yell at you when you're playing bad and, you know, try to get you to pull out a close game. And I think it, it kind of revealed a difference that I would guess many of us thought existed um, thinking about the difference between Mike Boonholzer and Jason Kidd. Um, but, you know, I thought Giannis kind of laid it out there and kind of let everyone know exactly what those differences are. And uh, I wouldn't necessarily say any of this is surprising, and I can't imagine you are surprised by it, Frank, but, you know, just kind of what was your your general thought as as you watched that? Uh, I believe Stephen tweeted it out. If you haven't watched it, you can go check that out uh, at WISN underscore Watson uh, if you'd like to see the video of that. Uh, I thought back to uh, when Jason Kidd got fired and Jason Kidd like, did his best to, uh, you know, um, basically make Giannis out to, to be emotionally crushed and um, his ally Devastated. and whatever. Devastated, yes. Was that the Chris Haynes tweet? That, that uh, devastated, yes. Chris Haynes tweeted that uh, Giannis was devastated after Jason Kidd got fired. Um, and then Kidd leaked that, uh, leaked like what Giannis had said that he would like call ownership or whatever it was. Um, yeah, you know what? Um, you know, feel free to make one of those memes the uh, the guy looking at the other girl meme with uh, with with Bud and Kid or whatever. Um, <laughs> because yeah, you know what? Like you know, obviously there was the Larry Drew, uh, the very short Larry Drew era when Honest was a rookie, but um, Jason Kidd had his chance. He had, you know, what, four years of Giannis and, um, yep. you know, Giannis is a very loyal guy, but um, oh, now he gets to be coached by someone who actually kind of knows what they're doing. And uh, obviously um, the team is, is playing at an extremely high level. And I mean, in fairness, Giannis is really not sort of apex Giannis yet. I think there's still even more Giannis could be doing right now in terms of obviously the, the shooting and the turnovers. But, um, you know, I think the, the proof is in the standings, right? And um, <laughs> I think everybody, Giannis included, is uh, far happier. Malcolm Brogdon probably wins the award for, like, guy who just, like, most blatantly, like, talks about how much happier everyone is. <laughs> yeah, every, <laughs> like, every, every conversation he has about coaching is a subtweet of Jason Kidd. 
yeah so that's that's amusing shout out to malcolm brogdon for that um but uh but yeah so i you know again we always talk about Giannis as a very um respectful guy uh obviously appreciated kid what kid did for him to the extent he did anything for him <laughs> um and uh you know that's just that's what you, something we love about Giannis that he is loyal like that but um now uh now now you know now Giannis gets to see what what a, a real basketball team looks like and obviously it's, uh, it's nice that he uh that, that he's appreciated Yeah, I thought I thought that was really interesting. And then the other thing that Giannis had mentioned during that um, during that availability was just the fact that you know obviously he went over six from three last night, and he mentioned the fact that Bud had kind of sat him down in the last week, and they had as I think Giannis called it a meeting uh, just for a few minutes, and you know in that meeting, Bud essentially told him like, "You got to shoot threes. Like, that that's you just need to." there there isn't really uh anything to discuss here like you you need to start shooting threes and it, it was just kind of interesting to to hear him say that uh because he was trying to trying to tell the story about how bud had called him last night after the game and told him like hey i want you to shoot the ball um and then he was like kind of switching back and forth but essentially he kind of said like you know we had a conversation uh, about a week ago and he told me he's like i want you to shoot the ball even though even if you miss the next 20 shots i want you to shoot the ball if it's going to go in this year good if it doesn't go in it's going to go in next year but i want you to have that confidence shooting the ball he called me after the game he told me you were 0 for 6 keep shooting and Giannis said, you know, like, that's big. That's amazing. And this morning he told me defensively you have to pick it up. And having a coach that trusts and also keeps you accountable at all times helps you play with confidence and you always want to play as hard as you can for him. And, you know, I, I asked him after that response, like, you know, you hadn't shot many threes for a while that, you know, after the let it fly at the start of the year, uh, it had kind of calmed down and, you know, I assume that Mike Boonholzer's message was always, hey, you should be shooting it. So I asked kind of, you know, what was the difference between that? And like, was the message the same? Was it different? He said the message was the same, but, you know, he grabbed me, talked to me for a few minutes and he was like, look, shoot the ball. And he was always like, Giannis, shoot it. You got to shoot that at times during practice. But now it was just a meeting with me and him. And it was more like, I want you to shoot the ball. If you don't shoot the ball, I'm going to take you out. It was more like that. So I got to shoot it every time. And, you know, I, I think obviously this podcast is uh, a, a major critic of any shots from Giannis uh, in the dead zone. Uh, if, he, if he takes long twos, uh, I think... Uh, I don't know if if you can hear my groans from press row, but I certainly can hear your groans from Austin uh, as he takes those because like you you just know that you know those are those are not good looks and he had kind of fallen into the habit again of taking those shots um, where you know we saw his three point numbers uh, I mean pretty much crater uh, to start the season he had at least three in the first four games and then he hadn't shot more than two until uh, the Bulls game where he took four and then obviously he took six against Denver. So um, I thought it was, I thought it was interesting to hear that Giannis needed that reminder again, because I think it was so vivid to all of us at the start of the year that, you know, like let it fly. Like that's what the bucks are going to do. And I mean, it was noticeable that for two weeks, Giannis essentially, kind of turned his back on shooting threes. And again, I know a lot of people will say, well, if he doesn't make any, he he's, he shot 10 in these couple of games. He only shot two. Those are bad shots. And, you know, like I, I just, I, I tend not to agree. <laughs> um, you know, even if he doesn't make them, those are good shots. And I think one of the things you saw was Giannis took a three and then uh, he took a three early in the game. And then still in the first quarter, he gets the ball at the top of the key, puts it in the shot pocket. Paul Millsap comes flying at flying, him, yeah. flying at him, and he goes down the middle of the lane for a dunk. Like He got two points because he just put the ball in the shot pocket 
despite shooting 20% uh, over those games, uh, despite not shooting threes for two weeks. Like the threat is enough. And you are just so conditioned as a defender that when someone does that, especially someone who's a great scorer, whether or not they're a great shooter, uh, just to see that your brain says, I need to stop that. And I just think it's so huge. And, um, you know, it's kind of refreshing to hear that Mike Boonholzer kind of pulled him aside and had that talk and said, hey, like you got to start shooting threes again. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, the, the game against Denver, I mean, two two shots that stood out that really you know, where the um, fingernails on the chalkboard were, he had two post turnarounds and Mm. the second one was very late in the shot clock, but he was like basically pounding the ball. Like he was kind of like, he was on the left block, sort of pounding it sort of towards the middle. And I was hoping that he was setting up a drop step, like a drop step or kind of like a step through back to the baseline. And instead it was a air ball fade away, you know, like, shot that was just like all right you know i regret the kobe workout this summer um i mean he started shooting those last year but he he took two of them tonight missed both of them um and and again like that we've talked about that's like to me is the lowest percentage shot like that the bucks any buck consistently takes and again there's been fewer of them this year thankfully but um but yeah i mean that's obviously just not a shot you want to look for versus um especially the catch and shoot threes i mean we talked about him hitting a couple of those was nice because those are much better shots than the pull-up threes um, that he yep. seems to prefer but is not good at. Um, so we'll see. Um, I think that's, that's you know, again, that's part of his growth. And, um, you know, there's obviously guys right now who you wonder, like, well, you know, is Chris Middle going to hit 45% of his threes all season? Is You know, some of these, some shooting that guys are, you know, guys are making shots like Lopez hitting a career best number. Some of those are going to regress a little bit. But, I mean... Giannis is the one guy who obviously like he's not going to shoot 10% for an entire year right I mean the, we have Correct. years of of you know data suggesting he's not that bad um but obviously you know f- again from the foul line again last night three out of six um he's really not shooting well from from obviously three or the foul line so I mean that's the crazy part I mean he is completely unstoppable when he attacks the basket he's you know right now at 80% finishing at the rim and he's taking more shots there than ever um I mean, in that third quarter, you know, he just kind of decided like, you know, all right, this is happening. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, really was obviously central to the Bucks coming back, right? I mean, it was Giannis and Bledsoe were really the two the two main protagonists of the Bucks come back in that second half. Yeah, Bledsoe more so in the fourth quarter, Giannis in that third quarter when he had 15 points. Um, but it's remarkable because, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, granted, the Jokic obviously is not a great defender, but, you know, I mean, the, Paul Millsap, you know, like you're, he's your primary defender. I mean, you, Paul Millsap can defend. He's not getting pushed around. Um, Mason Plumlee's not getting pushed around. But, I mean, like that dunk where Giannis just worked him down low and just, you know, lefty, just put him under the rim and, and lefty dunked on him was, was tremendous, like that's, by the that's way. That's Shaq um, shit. Like that, that's what Shaq yeah. did to people. Yeah. Yeah. He's, and obviously the, the, they're totally different types of physicality, but there is something very shack like to the way that Giannis just is completely kind of just undeniable and getting to the basket, you yep. know, even though teams know that and everybody plays them for that. Um, and by the way, shame on Mason Plumley. Um, <laughs> like Mason Plumley got, he got yammed on when Giannis had that little crossover and lefty dunk in Denver. I don't know if he, he might've dunked on Plumley one other time in that game. Um, he got him at least once in the game uh, on uh, Monday. And then if you look at the replay, Plumlee blocked him. Officially, he blocked him. On the block, he goes up. He's trying to challenge Giannis. Giannis is going with two hands. Plumlee goes up to block with his right hand. He His left hand literally grabs Giannis by the upper arm on his right arm as he's going up. Basically pulls his arm down. And then, you know, you could have called a foul on him for the chunk of hand he got when he blocked Giannis and then fricking Mason Plumley, whose brother basically got $52 million because Giannis threw him some alley-oops and he looked like he could play with Giannis in the 15, 16 season. The Plumley family with no respect 
for the people that pay them and keep their bank account. The breadwinner in their family. Giannis has done more. No respect. Giannis has done more for the Plumley family estate than Miles Plumley <laughs> for sure. Um, so anyway, so um, yeah, that just you know, Exhibit Fifty Three in the Giannis doesn't get whistles. Um, <laughs> by the way, the other one that really stuck out to me in the Denver game. Giannis had that like spin move for a dunk, like in the first half. Mm-hmm. And I saw the replay. It was like your garden variety spin move that guys in the NBA make. And they called it for a travel. And I was just like, it was a strange, call. like, Oh, what now we're calling spin moves on travels. Like that was like every other freaking travel you see in the NBA, including from Giannis. And they just decided to call that one a travel. Like seriously, F these refs. It was strange. I I'm just, anyway, um, one, I will say this. Um, one other play that jumped out at me defensively. There was. Do you remember that play where I think it was? Uh, it was in the first half. Millsap. I don't remember exactly how it was, but Millsap cut along the baseline and caught it. And he had like a few feet where he was by himself under the basket, and Giannis recovered. And Millsap, first off, was like afraid to just like go up on Giannis. And then he basically like took a dribble and kind of like then Giannis was on his back and then he could have tried to like shoot a short hook shot and was also just like, screw it. I can't do this. And it was, it it was kind of the, you know, another great example of, you know, Giannis had no blocks last night, but just sort of like his presence. I mean, he, he is like in a, from like a transition perspective, like there's nobody, I don't know if there's anybody who combines the ability to get back in transition with the ability to like, dissuade people from trying to do anything um like he is like literally a one-man kind of he's a one-man fast break offensively which we always talk about but he's also sort of like a one-man fast break deterrent on the other side and and again that's one of those things that like there's no like individual stat that's going to capture that but um you know a a good example of just sort of what what he's able to do um and uh i don't know any any other thoughts on on that game I, I mean Bledsoe I mentioned I thought he was man he was terrific in that fourth quarter hitting you know a couple big shots I mean I I trust unfortunately I think I trust um Bledsoe's threes more than his free throws in the fourth quarter and more than Giannis's uh free throws at any time yeah um but uh he made big plays on both ends and um yeah I mean he continues to play at a really high level uh and I mean again like dovetailing with the the all-star talk i mean i again like it's not just a numbers thing i think he's delivering certainly more than the numbers and you know our, our espn's rpm stats were the first edition came out the other day and um i think he is top 10 in the league he's at the moment he's actually better than Giannis by rpm um it's like middleton is i think top 10 bledsoe's top 10 and Giannis is like i don't know a little bit further down, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Bledsoe, a guy who, I mean, he is, he is living up to sort of that two way talent that, you know, you kind of hope for when you got him. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think I have any other thoughts. Um, I'm trying to decide that there was one, whatever, we'll knock it out. Um, cause we're, we might take, uh, I think we're gonna have a special guest tomorrow night on the podcast and then we might take off the next two days, uh, to end the week. So we'll give you all of the Frank Madden goodness that you can possibly had handle, uh, at the moment. So, um, the last thing we were going to talk about, it, it was something that you kind of said, uh, as we were getting ready to record this and I mentioned it in the intro and, you know, we talked to I don't think we've really talked about it. The only thing that we talked about the other night was you had mentioned that and you felt bad that 60% of the starting lineup needs a new contract or is playing for a contract or something of of, of that variety. And you failed to mention Chris Middleton. Uh, Chris Middleton also playing for a contract. Uh, he has a player option for next year. He will undoubtedly turn that down because it would be ridiculous for him to keep it because it would – probably pay him about half of what he could make on the open market. Uh, so he will turn that down. So essentially four of the five starters, other everyone other than Giannis is playing for a contract next year. And you brought up the idea that, you know, Chris Middleton, um, I think when both you and I kind of do interviews other places, people are like, oh, you know, you look at the contracts, like, you know, what are they going to do with Middleton? How does this work? Like, are they going to have enough cap room to do all these things to bring back these players? Like, blah, 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 blah. And I guess one thing that 
we've never discussed, but I think when we talked about it post or pre-show, we both agree. Um, I'm kind of to a spot where I just don't really imagine Chris Middleton going anywhere else. And that isn't to say that Chris Middleton is going to take a discount. And that's not to say that the Bucks are, are going to get him on a steal of a deal like they did the first time uh, that Chris Middleton signed an extension. I just think we're at a spot that, you know, if the Bucks hear anything about a number that Chris Middleton is going to get, or, um, you know, he won't be an RFA, so you wouldn't be able to match it. But, you know, like I think, Middleton spent enough time here and I think that their communication would be open enough that, you know, Chris could kind of let him, let them know like, Hey, this is what I'm expecting. Or, Hey, I've talked with this other team. It's July 1st. And you know, they're thinking about this and the Bucks would say, okay, sounds good. Whatever it is, we'll match it. And I, I don't know if I was there quite at the start of the year or I guess before the year, but you know, I'm there now. Like I, I just don't see any way that, Chris Middleton is not a Milwaukee Buck going forward. Like I, I just I can't imagine this front office allowing that to happen. Do you, it sounds like you feel similarly. Yeah, I mean, and the reason I didn't talk about Chris the other day is just because I think I was talking about like sort of like you'd have to decide what you were going to do with Bledsoe, Brogdon, and Lopez, and I think I think yep. there's kind of a you're not likely you are not going to retain more than two of those guys, um, and, and Lopez is kind of the. Lopez is sort of in some ways the most interesting guy because the Bucks literally can't offer him as much as probably. Well, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I, I hesitate to say like they're not going to be able to pay him his market. Um, I think certainly if he continues to play the way he has, um, there will be someone. Some team may very well offer him more than the mid level, which will probably be somewhere in the order of of nine million dollars starting salary. I imagine someone might offer him that, but. I would cross my fingers um, that you might be able to retain him offering him that. Um, and just the fact that obviously this is a team that, you know, it seems like he's really enjoying his role. He obviously has a chance to, to win games here, be competitive in a way that, um, you know, I don't, I don't know where, where else he would necessarily go off the top of my head that would offer him a better opportunity. Right. Um, you know, like he's not, you know, yeah. the Celtics aren't going to give him a deal to be a starter um, obviously the Philly doesn't need him. Um, you know, Toronto, I, I think, you know, I, I don't really foresee them with Valanchunas still on the roster and Ibaka kind of transitioning into the center role. Like, you know, I don't think there's an East team that is in the ballpark of competitiveness where the Bucks are that that would make sense. And, um, you know, out West again, like I, I just, I just, I mean, you could have argued the Lakers would have made sense, but they didn't want him this summer. So, um, you know, they're a team that, that obviously I don't know about. And then, you know, otherwise, you know, you're talking about like a lot of other teams that, um, I don't know. I just don't necessarily see, I mean, Utah doesn't need him. Houston doesn't need him. Um, you know, golden state, uh, you know, again, they're not, they're not going to have more, they're not going to have the the full mid-level next summer. So even if they wanted to give him the boogie cousin slot, that would be lower. So, um, so yeah, they're going to be an interesting spot. I, I mean, I think again, if things continue to go as they will, then, then they'll have an interesting decision with Brooke and, you know, Brogdon being a restricted free agent, but with Middleton, I mean, the order of operations, I think is pretty simple. Like those other guys, um, I think there are arguments why you might not be able to keep them or you wouldn't well, I hesitate you wouldn't want to keep them, but you know, there's scenarios I think where they can get too much money and you'd say, well, you know what, like, sorry. Um, with Chris, I don't think there is. And I think, you know, again, like the downside of losing him is potentially you losing Giannis, right? Like, like you lose Chris Middleton, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to go spend that money on somebody else. Um, you know, you, you can't replace all these guys with the cap space that would be left over if they leave, which is really important to understand. And so um, it's not, you know, again, uh, just a simple question of like, okay, we'll go, go spend, you know, $25, $30 million on a Chris Milton replacement. That money isn't there. So, um, so you pay him where <laughs> you, you're, you know, basically you're not hitting the reset button, but you are like, you know, dropping behind hopefully a bunch of teams that this year you're fishing ahead of. Right. And I'm, talking about being near the top of the East. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think it, it's, it's a cost of doing business. Like you want to be competitive day one, you're paying Chris Middleton. And, um, you know, if, I know we've talked about it. They, they, you know, he's, he remains extension eligible, but the most they can offer in him extension is four years around 70 million. And obviously that's not nearly enough. That's, <laughs> and that's the downside of him being on a cheap salary is that you can't really offer him that much. Yep. 
uh, in an extension because the Bucks don't, you know, if they had cap space, they could have done some more things, but they don't. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think again, like, you know, people who want to draw the line and say like, oh, well, he's not worth more than 25 million. It's like, well, okay. Like what, what's your alternative? Bye, Giannis. Yeah. So, um, so it's, it's definitely a, um, a spot where I just don't think they have much, you know, much of a real choice to make versus those other guys. I think there is obviously much more of a, you know, a uh, decision making to, to, to be had. And I think especially with Bledsoe and Brock, I think there's more of a, like, you know, they play together in the starting lab now, but I think there's more of a, you know, you, you probably are picking one. And I think this is another podcast, but my, my view, um, especially just looking at how the team is performing this year and also just some of the depth that they have um, at the shooting guard spot, I would be, really looking hard at the possibility of dealing Brogdon either with um, either with one of the Bucks bad contracts for maybe some sort of short-term guy who can patch things over, but who is not going to require a ton of money next year. Um, or um, I would consider trying to trade him for more of like a future asset, somebody that you don't have to pay a lot of money. Cause again, like if you want to bring back, you can kind of, run it back with the same roster next year you're almost certainly looking at the luxury tax which is also why again like i for life of me can't really rationalize like a dj wilson option pickup because that only exacerbates you know your your um the money you owe guys next year but um you know next year is especially tough because those henson and delhi deals still have a year left on them um but i think again if you're talking about like trying to you know move a delhi or a henson contract for an expiring um i would probably well, I would. I'm, I'm saying I would start with Brogdon mainly because I don't think it's realistic to trade Maker or DJ Wilson or one of these lesser guys um, and have a team actually bite on that for an expiring contract. If you could, by all means. But I'm guessing if that was a possibility, it would have <laughs> happened already. So um, I think again, like you know, there at this point, you know, and again, it's it, it may sound stupid because Brogdon's in his prime. He's going to be in his prime for longer than Bledsoe. Um, in theory uh and you know brogdon's putting what is it brogdon he's brogdon's like a 50 40 90 guy right now right so to be talking about him yeah. as a guy that you want to just cash in i realize can be can sound a bit crazy but um you know i i don't think brogdon is the point guard of your future from like i don't i don't think you're going to contend with brogdon being your starting point guard um and you know again if you could get brogdon for seven million eight million dollars a year um that would be really interesting but i, I just I don't think that's the number that's in Malcolm Brogdon's head. And I think even as a restricted free agent, there's a chance he could get way more than that in a, you know, environment where there's going to be a lot more cap room next summer. So um, again, again, I, 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 I hate like just giving up on Malcolm Brogdon or something like that. But um, these are the kinds of things that you need to think about if you really are keeping an eye on sort of the team's long-term finances, which again, isn't, you know, necessarily a, a fun thing to say now if you thought Bledsoe was gone right and the Bledsoe is going to go someplace else regardless because he's unrestricted then I think there's a better argument for keeping Bledsoe because you're afraid of trading Bledsoe and then not having any point point cards other than other than freaking Delhi or whatever um but um yep. it's again the, these are uncomfortable things to think about when you know as we were saying the Bucks are really really good right now um but they have some challenges in order to stay good and to get even better. Yeah, I think there's there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff. Um, I think we can save all of those things you just unraveled for <laughs> another podcast uh, because it's definitely another podcast or maybe two or three because uh, th- there there was a lot there, Frank. Um, but I, I will circle back to Middleton and get us out of here. But um, I think one thing with the Middleton deal is uh, – I I think a lot of people don't like hearing don't like hearing when I or you or or anyone says like okay if you lose Chris Middleton you're you're probably going to lose Giannis because ever I think the response there is well you know go sign someone as good as Chris Middleton or you know get a, a different free agent or you know find a way to to get some other talent and it's like yeah that could work but also that's not easy. And with the box cap situation, 
kind of not possible. Um, so you do kind of have to think through these things. And um, I do think that there is going to be a high importance, uh, especially after a season like this. Like, I just think it would be an absolute killer that you have a good season. Who knows how many of the Bucks win? Say they win 55. You win 55 games. You win your first playoff series in 18 years, the first playoff series of Giannis's career. Maybe you win a second playoff series. You get to the Eastern Conference. Uh, who knows? No matter what, it, it's it's a level of success Giannis has never accomplished in his career to this point. You go out there and do that, and then in the in the offseason, you allow the second best player to go somewhere else. Well, okay, you did that. So one, you better have a damn good plan for how you're going to make up for that. And two, if you don't, you're going to go into Giannis's extension summer, which is 2020. He becomes available for the Supermax extension in 2020. Uh, after a season where you try to pick up the pieces from the second best player on your team leaving. The teammate that Giannis at that point will have had the longest because I don't I don't imagine John Henson is is around for another contract with the Bucks. Like uh, you let that guy go. Um, and we've talked about Giannis's loyalty already in this episode. We've talked about it in general. Um, that doesn't seem like the best look, and also may not signal to Giannis that you are serious about winning. And again. I understand the perils of a Chris Middleton contract. I understand the concerns of, you know, how his game might age and uh, being on the hook for it a little bit later on when he's what, 31 or 30. Does he get all the way to 32 in that contract? I think so. Um, But I I get it. And I I get why people would, would want to be cautious about that. But also uh, we've talked again and again and again about the importance of getting Giannis to sign the Supermax. Like that, that should be, um, I mean, it might be, it may be hyperbolic, but I've put that on the same level as winning the Eastern conference finals, like get, getting him to do that. Like that's, that's just, that secures your franchise for another five years. Like it, it just does. So um, I think it would be hard to think about letting Chris Middleton go uh, after this season and allowing him to sign no matter how much that next contract may be. So uh, we'll see kind of what the Bucks end up doing with that. And we can talk about all the things that Frank brought up there um, as he unraveled his cap scroll um, <laughs> and started to go through all of that. But we can, we can hit up all of that. Um, I, I will actually... I'll wish you a happy Thanksgiving because I don't know how many of you will listen to a Thanksgiving Day episode. Hopefully you have time with your family uh, and you're able to hang out with them. Uh, enjoy and, and and you enjoy hanging out with them. And if you don't enjoy hanging out with them, just go eat a bunch of food and be fat because that is what Thanksgiving is about. And it is why it is my favorite holiday because there's literally nothing expected of you other than eat a crap ton and also maybe drink some wine and you know what? If you pass out during the second football game, that's cool. Um, cause that's what I do. I take, I, I'm, I'm a big nap taker. I, I fill up, I overeat, and then I take a nice little 30 minute hour nap and I've had a great Thanksgiving. Um, I've got, I've got four words for everybody. First off, happy Thanksgiving. Second, uh, is that of part words. of the, is that part of the, okay. Yeah, so the first, the happy first Thanksgiving is the first four. two. Okay. Happy, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thanks for listening. Heart you. Uh, and then, um, that's, that's not part of it though. Heart you was not the second two, although I do that too. Um, the second two letter, uh, two words, uh, fried turkey. I don't know if I've talked about this on the, on the air. Don't um, know if you have. my, my brother-in-law, um, made fried turkey for us, uh, in Houston the past, uh, two years. And, um, life I mean, changing. I, lo- I love turkey, but, uh, well, it's Thanksgiving changing. I don't know if I say okay, life changing, sure. um, but uh, whew, that's uh, <laughs> once you go fried turkey, you're. I mean, good luck going back. That's uh, that's just a great tasting bird there, uh, Eric. So um, I feel like it's more of a southern thing because the weather is conducive always to frying a turkey. That's a good point. I mean, you know, I'm I'm. Uh, not a uh, extra. I've I've sort of been a party to the frying of the turkey. I've not sure. like done it myself. I usually hang out with my brother-in-law when he's doing it, um, and it doesn't take long either. Like that's the other thing too. Like I, I forget how long. There's like there's some rule of thumb. It's like a couple minutes for every pound or something like that. Um, sure. So you're gonna get it done and way faster as well. And uh, yeah, you know what? I mean, if it's a little cold, you know, you do it on your back patio or something like that. Like 
but whatever. Yeah. Put on a, put on a jacket, you know? Um, <laughs> it's character building. Also, so. don't do it on your back patio because your patio is probably made of wood and you do not want to put hot oil on wood. Go out to your driveway where it's concrete. Yeah, okay. Your garage. What, well, probably not your garage because you, yeah. But anyway, just go find to the driveway. Some, Go, go to, you know, an abandoned uh, paved lot um, far from your home, fry your turkey, and then uh, haul ass back to uh, back home. So that's, that's, that's my very unhelpful tip. All right. That is going to be it for us for tonight. We will talk to you again next week. Uh, I will record an episode uh, tomorrow night with possibly a special guest. If you follow me on Twitter, I would guess you can figure out who it may be. Uh, but you know what? Maybe it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a surprise. It, it can be something fun anyway. So we will do all of that tomorrow. We'll get you ready for the Bucks and, uh, or excuse me, we'll talk about the Bucks in their game against Portland Trailblazers and then get you ready for their back to back on the weekend. So that'll be it for us for today. So for Frank, man, I'm Eric name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you tomorrow.